Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send your spirit to us now and open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're taking a small break from our series in the book of Colossians. And the reason for that uh, is many in some respects. Uh, but basically yesterday I preached the sermon that you're going to hear this morning at a men's breakfast at Smithfield Baptist. And that was organized last year by the pastor at Smithfield Baptist, Chris Atable, who many of you know. Uh, he wanted me to preach on the subject of interpreting scripture, uh, to speak about how we look at the Bible and understand what it means. And so I thought it would be helpful for you to also hear that sermon, and it would also be helpful for me over the last week uh, that I wouldn't have to prepare two sermons, one for Saturday and one for Sunday, and get them a bit jumbled in my head as I sought to deliver them. Uh, many pastors do preach twice on a Sunday. I'm not used to that pattern, and I did have quite a bit on last week. Uh, so it was just uh, something some of the elders encouraged me to do last Sunday night, is just preach the same sermon in two days consecutively. So this morning you're going to hear about the subject of interpreting scripture, how to understand what scripture says. That's what interpretation is, where you understand the meaning of a particular text, not just the Bible, but whenever you read any text or listen to someone, you interpret what they say, which means that you seek the meaning of their words. What are they trying to convey? What thoughts are in their heads that they're trying to get across into your head? or into the heads of the original uh, hearers of what they had to say. And so whenever we go to Scripture, we actually go through a bit of a process. Now, you may not include the final step in this process, but generally speaking, if you go to a Bible study, if you read the Scripture on your own, you go through a process in your mind. You look at what does the text say? Firstly, what are the words that are there? What does the text actually say? Then what does the text mean? Particularly, what does the text mean for the original hearers? That's the first thing that we're looking at uh, as we look at any sort of text is, who was this to and what was the meaning for those original hearers? And then the third step is, what does the text say to us? What does it mean for us today? As someone who's hearing the words of somebody else, does it have any application to my life? And that often is a step that is missed by people. They're quite happy to look at what does the text say, what does the text say to people who originally heard it or for who the message was intended. But when it comes to God's word, people are not so interested in looking at what does this text mean for me? What does it mean for me? How can I apply this text to my own life? Now, as we come to the interpretation of Scripture, as we come to look at the meaning of Scripture, we need a number of tools. And I think this is what yesterday at Smithfield Baptist I was meant to be really speaking on, is the different tools that we can use to interpret Scripture. Instead, I gave them a sermon about a subject matter that you will hear in due course. Uh, but basically, I should list at the beginning here the different tools that you should have if you come to interpret Scripture. What are the tools that you need? Well, firstly, you need a Bible. You need a Bible that you can read. Few of us are gifted with the ability to know classical Greek or even Koine Greek, which is what the, uh, uh, the original New Testament was written in, or, or Hebrew and Aramaic, which is what the Old Testament is written in. And so you need to have a text that you can read in a tongue that you understand. And thankfully, in the English language, we have many translations that are available to us. Some are poorer 
than others. Some are downright heretical and have been uh, mistranslated deliberately to lead you in a particular direction. So you have to be careful with which translation you're actually going to use. We have a number of beneficial ones. We have the NIV, which we, of course, use at our church, the NIV 1984 version. You have the ESV, which is another good, lit, uh, more literal translation. The NASB, the New American Standard, I do like that one too. Many of you love the King James Version, which, of course, is uh, a very nice literal translation, but the language, of course, is dated. Uh, it's 400 years old now, and so many of you struggle to read the older English. If you struggle to read Shakespeare, there's a chance you'll probably struggle to read the King James version, but it's still a helpful translation to look at uh, from time to time. And one translation that I love to look at uh, as I'm trying to really nut out the scripture, but I do not read for personal benefit uh, for my devotional reading, is Young's literal translation. If you want to see what the Bible literally, uh, word for word correspondence between Greek and Hebrew, Young's literal translation is a very good translation as well. I really do like that one. Uh, and the great thing is, these days with the internet, you can have access to all these translations very easily. In the past, you'd have to go out and buy multiple translations uh, if you wanted to benefit from them all. But these days, you can just flick with the, uh, with the movement of your finger on your, your phone, and you can pull up another translation and look at that. And so that's the thing that we need to have. We need to firstly have a Bible that we can trust, or multiple Bibles, really. You should have a couple of translations that you're used to referring to because you want to see the different nuances that the translators have tried to bring across. Also, it's good to have a dictionary uh, to look up English words that you don't know or are not familiar with that a translator has used, or even a Bible dictionary to look up words that even a secular dictionary can't really convey the truth across. Uh, words like justification or sanctification. You want to look up what those words actually mean in a Bible dictionary to help you understand them. You should have a basic understanding of grammar, which most of you do. If you've been particularly through school, you may even know some of the names of the different grammatical terms of nouns and adjectives and adverbs and verbs. But even if you don't, you usually understand what a doing word is and what a naming word is. So what a, a, a word that names something is different from a word that is talking about doing something. So when you sit here, I kick the ball, you know that kick is an action. You know that the ball is a thing. And so when you come to the text, you understand these grammatical terms. And if you're advanced, you, of course, can understand the different moods of verbs. You should understand the tenses of verbs, past tense, future tense, present tense, uh, but also moods, imperative mood, uh, where there's moods of command, uh, moods of statement of fact, indicatives, things like that, if you want to get really advanced. But usually you can understand if something's a command, kick the ball is different from I kick the ball. We understand that the kick, the word kick there is used in two different ways, depending on the context around it. And so you should have some understanding of that. Also, you should, fourthly, so we've got a Bible, we've got a dictionary, we have some understanding of grammar. Fourthly, you should have some understanding of different types of literature. But there's different types of literature. You should be able to recognise when narrative is going on, when someone is describing something that is happening, versus poetry and metaphors that may be being used, that when Jesus says, I am the gate, he doesn't mean he is a gate. You understand it's a metaphor. And this is something that is important to understand because some people get really mis, 
uh, directed. They take some words literally rather than metaphorically. They understand that Jesus is something that he claimed, uh, that he said he was. They would say, when he says, I am the bread, he actually means bread in a physical sense sometimes. Some denominations actually teach that. Well, I should say some religions teach that. Uh, that they misunderstand the words because I think they just don't understand when they can't work out when something is being spoken of metaphorically, when something is representing something. Symbolism, they can't grasp it. Also, we should look at the context of the passage that you're looking at. If you want to interpret Scripture properly, you need to look at the context of the verses that you're looking at, the words you're looking at. You need to look at the sentence, the full sentence. You just don't focus on one little phrase. You look at the surrounding paragraphs. It's often helpful for you to get the, the meaning of Scripture. You look at the full chapter. You look at the full book. You look at the way that word that you're trying to understand is used in other parts of the book. Is often helpful, or even other books written by that same author. If you've got the Apostle Paul, one of his letters, and you want to understand a particular word, it's very good to look at how has he used that word in other letters that he has written. And of course, the rest of Scripture. All of Scripture is written by God. And if you want to understand a particular passage, it is important to look at it in light of other Scripture, particularly harder Scriptures, are better to look at in, in light of easier Scriptures, Scriptures that are easier to understand. And then sixthly, you should also consider historical context. You should look at the background of the original readers and the author, and this is where archaeology is helpful. Other writings from the time outside the Bible are very helpful for understanding this, the historical context and why someone might have been saying something in a particular way because of the historical context that is around them. And what is helpful for that? Well, commentaries are usually the easiest way to access such material. Uh, we can't all go out on an archaeological dig, and we can't all read archaeological textbooks, uh, but commentators are those who have, uh, they look at, a, they use the Bible and they go through verse by verse and they make comments. That's what's called commentaries. They make comments and they have digested other material that is out there and they put it there in easy format to read and so that you can uh, access it easily on the spot. You've got a verse two of a particular chapter and there they say at verse two that you should be aware of this particular historical context. So there's six things that I think are helpful tools. You need a Bible, actually a few Bibles, uh, generally speaking, a dictionary, you need some understanding of grammar, you need some understanding of different types of literature, you need to understand context, and you need to understand the historical context. But what is most helpful in interpreting Scripture rightly? What is the most helpful thing that we need in order to know the meaning of Scripture? It's an open mind. We need an open mind. Why do we need an open mind? Well, the Bible tells us that sinful humans have closed minds when it comes to Scripture. We have closed minds when it comes to Scripture. And you don't need the Bible to tell you that. You can just look around you as, they, as people interact with Scripture. People are closed to the Scripture. They may not even want to hear the Scripture, but even when they read it, it feels like it is closed to them and they do not want to hear what Scripture has to say, particularly what Scripture has to say to them personally. And I've even seen this. I remember a pastoral visit I was on and I was there at the request of the parents and they wanted their teenager in the room to hopefully interact with me somewhat. The teenager was there, tolerated being called out of the room, brought his laptop with him sat on the laptop there at an, on a side of the room and basically wouldn't interact with me. Okay, so that's fine. I interact with parents. We talk about all kinds of other things. Um, 
And then I said, all right, it's time for me to leave. And what do I do whenever I meet with people? Before I leave, I fish out my Bible. Fished out my Bible. I said, it'd be good for us to read from God's word. First time he speaks to me. No, you won't. I won't allow it. Popped his head up from behind the laptop. Looked furiously at me. I didn't think he was paying attention to anything I was saying. But as soon as I brought out God's word, he was suddenly hostile. Why is that? A closed mind. A closed mind to even hearing God's word, let alone trying to interpret it and understand what it has to say. Why do people consider scripture a myth, propaganda, lies, contradictions? People love to say that one to me. The Bible is full of contradictions. I usually say to them, well, show me one. They can't find one for me because they've just heard that the Bible is full of contradictions. Why is that? Because they've got a closed mind. They don't want to actually investigate Scripture. They don't want to hear what Scripture has to say. It's not a lack of evidence. They don't want to even look at the evidence. I will often offer to read the Bible with people, to show them the evidence about the Lord and about themselves. But they're not interested. They say, I don't want to know, Joel. Why is that? A closed mind. They do not have an open mind when it comes to looking at Scripture. Now, why do humans have closed minds to God's Word? Well, firstly, sin closes our minds to God's Word. Why is that? Well, sin at its heart is really rebellious. It's anti-authority. And that is what we all are. As we grow up, we see a child, anti-authority, anti-particularly, firstly, to their parents' authority. Then as you grow up, you are anti-authority to your boss, anti-authority to your school teachers, anti-authority to your lecturers at university, anti-authority to police, to politicians. And of course, the big one is, of course, we're anti-God's authority. We do not like God's authority. And so we close our minds to God. We do not want to have to hear what he says. We do not want to interpret what he says. We don't want to look at the meaning of scripture. And we are anti-authority. Sin is the reason our minds are closed. We are anti-authority. We're rebellious towards God. And why then do we not want to come to scripture? It's because as we come to God's scripture, our sin is exposed and we get defensive. If we start to interpret scripture rightly we start to see us for who we really are. Because the scripture is light and we are in darkness as sinful humans. And when the light shines upon us, we suddenly start to understand how bad we really are. And this is what is taught in scripture. In John chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus says, Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Now, Jesus, of course, is there speaking of himself. He calls himself the light of the world. But, of course, he communicates his light through Scripture to us. I mean, the people there that day had great light, of course. They've got the light there themselves. But this is the way we have God's light now. This is the way we have Jesus' words now, is through Scripture. And people who are evil will not come into the light. They hate the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And so, of course, they close their minds to God's word. 
So firstly, why do we have closed minds? It's because of our sinful selves. Secondly, it's because God also judiciously hardens our minds and our hearts in response to our rejection of him. Because we reject God, God then rejects us and hardens us to the truth of his word. And we see that in Isaiah chapter 6, that passage that we read before, where God says to Isaiah, he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, so they hear God's word, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving, make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. This passage is a passage that is haunting for us to read, to see God judiciously in judgment against us, hardening human minds because of their rejection of him. And it's a passage that's picked up in the New Testament and often quoted, particularly by the Lord Jesus himself, about the hardness of people's hearts because of God's judgment upon them. So what's it like for our minds? Our minds are like, it's like our minds are trapped inside a cave. Our mind is inside the cave. Scripture is outside the cave. And there's been a cave-in between us and the outside. The opening is sealed to our cave. And we're cut off from Scripture. Why are we cut off? What's this cave-in that's happened? Well, it's our sin. The problem is not God's word. God's word is perfectly clear. It is clear in all that it affirms. The Bible tells us this in Psalm 12, verse 6. It says, The words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. God's word is not the problem. What's the problem? It's us. We've blocked off the entrance of our cave with our sin. And we can't move it. We may try to move these hard rocks that have fallen down between us and God's word, the entrance to our mind. We may try and move them around. You may get out a parallel passage and try and understand what is is God trying to say in this verse. Look at Mark's gospel in comparison to Luke's gospel and maybe bring in Matthew's gospel. Try and understand what is being said here. Look at another translation. You may try a lot harder. You may actually learn some Greek and some Hebrew and maybe a little bit of Aramaic. And you think, I can move these rocks and get access to the interpretation, the right interpretation of God's word. Maybe if I study a bit of archaeology or buy an extensive library of commentaries, then I will understand God's word finally. But it doesn't happen. As we move rock after rock around in our cave, other rocks just fall in in place. And we can't get at the meaning of God's word. You may be saying, why bother? Why should I bother trying to interpret scripture? Why should I not just dismiss it like the rest of humanity that seems to not want to even hear it, let alone try to understand it? Well, it's because our lives in that cave are running out. We're all dying. There's only a limited amount of oxygen down in that cave. And that is the story for all of humanity. We're all dying. We try to cover it up. But it springs through from time to time. In a pandemic, you start to understand 
my life is fragile. But then humanity likes to suppress that. It's interesting how people can be even apathetic now about the virus situation. And they don't want to acknowledge, they don't want to even consider that they may be dying. But that is the case for all of us. Because of our sin, we are dying. We've cut off the way to eternal life. That's what Scripture gives us. If we interpret Scripture rightly, we can have life now and forevermore instead of run out of oxygen down inside that cave. Scripture gives eternal life. The Apostle Peter says that when he speaks to Jesus. He says, you have the words of eternal life. How could we go anywhere else? You are the one that has the words of eternal life. So how do we open the entrance to our cave? How do we get at the right meaning of Scripture? How do we come out into the light and breathe clean oxygen? Well, we can't, but someone can open the entrance to our cave so that we can interpret Scripture rightly. Who is that? Well, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that in that passage that we looked at in Luke chapter 24. Here in Luke chapter 24, we see the disciples confronted with evidence after evidence about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, you should know this was going to happen. Look at verse 44 with me. Verse 44 of Luke chapter 24, page 1048, if you have a church Bible. Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Those three words there, uh, well, law of Moses uh, and prophets and Psalms, uh, law of Moses is three words in itself, uh, but this sums up the Old Testament writings. The Old Testament was written about the Lord Jesus, and they should have been able to read the Old Testament, interpret it rightly, and understand that Jesus, of course, was to come back to life after suffering for sin. But they didn't. And they still couldn't, even after the resurrection of the dead, even after they've seen Jesus appear bodily before them. It says they could not believe. They thought he was a ghost. So what does Jesus say to them? You guys, you need to learn some more Hebrew. You need to study some more archaeology. You need to listen to some theologians. You need to listen to Rabbi so-and-so. You need to do some more digging if you're going to interpret Scripture rightly and understand the resurrection of the dead. Is that what Jesus did? Read verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. How did they understand the Scriptures and what it said about the Lord Jesus and his resurrection from the dead? It's by Jesus opening their minds. Jesus is the one who opens our minds so that we can interpret Scripture. Not us. It's not us. It is Jesus. He brings in a massive earth-moving drill into our cave and opens up that passageway by the Holy Spirit. Compare the drill to the Holy Spirit. He is the one who removes all that sin from us and takes it away. This is what is told to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The Apostle Paul says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. This thing that has come from God, this Bible before us, it is foolishness to you if you do not have the Holy Spirit. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We can't discern it without the Holy Spirit. 
We need Jesus to send his Holy Spirit to dig out that entrance that has been blocked by our sin so that we can interpret Scripture rightly. And this is what we call conversion. Jesus unblocking a mind by the Holy Spirit and oxygen interpretation flooding in so that we get Scripture. We suddenly understand what it is saying there. What has happened? Sin and shame for sin is taken away at the cross. The penalty is paid. And so we no longer fear the plain meaning of Scripture, even if it exposes our sin. Why do people hate the Bible so much? They don't want to come into the light. They don't want their sin to be exposed. But if you have the Holy Spirit apply Christ's death to you, what has happened? He has taken your sin to the cross. All the rocks that were blocking the cave entrance are removed in Christ. And so even when you read the scriptures and are confronted by your sin, you don't have to be ashamed anymore because Christ has removed them. You know that, yes, you are a sinner, but you're redeemed. It has been paid for in the blood of the Lamb, all that sin of yours. And so you can read Scripture without fear. You can delight in Scripture. This is conversion, is when Christ opens your mind by the power of the Spirit so that you can read Scripture without shame because your sin has been applied to him at the cross. The Bible describes it in another way, describes it like lifting a veil. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we read, We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. If you know your Old Testament, you know who Moses is. You know that when Moses used to speak to God on Mount Sinai, uh, well, uh, he used to put a veil over his face because he was shined so brightly afterwards and the people feared to look at his face. And so he put a veil there. That's what the Apostle Paul is referring to. And he's using that as an illustration to how people are blind to God's word even today. He says, but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. The law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, the Jews read them. They were reading them in Paul's day. They're reading them in our day. I visited a synagogue. They read their Old Testament. But what is the problem as they seek to interpret the Old Testament? There's a veil. They can't get it. They read it, but they don't interpret it rightly. They don't see that the Messiah has come. They're still waiting for the Messiah. It has not been removed, says the Apostle Paul, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. This is what conversion is the veil is lifted. The entrance is opened, and we can understand Scripture. It starts to click for you, and you understand what all the fuss is about. If you've hung around Christians and you're an unbeliever, you're like, why do they keep on going back to this book? What is it about this book that is so vital to them? Suddenly you understand. It clicks for you too, and you understand what the fuss is about. You understand what the Bible says about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, about his scriptures, about the incarnation of Christ, of God's Son becoming man. You understand what the Bible says about humanity, that we are created beings, and you have no problem with that anymore. You understand that we're sinful humans, that we have fallen. And we deserve hell. 
But it also clicks for you and you understand what the Bible says about Christians, that we're justified, that we're sanctified, that we're forgiven and made free. You understand what it means to be a free person now. And when the Bible speaks about it, what this freedom is that you have. And it's interesting, you understand now, not just what it says for others, but you understand what it says for you. Remember that process that I said that we go through whenever we read the Bible? We look at what does the text say? What does the text mean? What did the text, what did the text mean for the original readers or hearers? And what does it mean for us? And that's at conversion. We understand that this has relevance to us. It is speaking about us. And oxygen floods into our cave and we breathe with joy, knowing we too have eternal life with Christ. Joel Radford knows that Christ died for his sins along with the sins of the world so many years ago. And so he delights in reading God's word. And it happens for you too when you're converted, that you delight in reading the word and understanding it correctly. It makes sense to you now. And you say, how did I not see it before? It is clear what it says there about God, about other humans, and about me as a Christian. And so once you're converted, you're light years ahead of many unconverted Bible scholars. Sadly, around this world, there are many people who read the Bible are paid to read the Bible and teach the Bible and try and interpret the Bible again and again. They write articles, they write books, and they just don't get it because they're not converted. Whereas if you are converted, you will see through the outrageous claims that are made about the Bible and interpretations that are completely false. You see straight through them. People ask the question, how did God create the world? What is being spoken of in Genesis? How do we really understand it? It suddenly makes sense to you at your conversion. It clicks for you. That is, God is the creator. Asking questions like, what, why is the Bible always on about sin? And people write all kinds of articles and books about what is sin. But it suddenly clicks for you when you're converted. You understand that sin is rebellion against the holy God, against his laws. It is lawlessness. People try and work out what is meant by all these miracles? What's meant by the resurrection of the dead that is taught in the Bible? What is meant by heaven and hell? And they're really confused about these theological matters. But when you're converted and God opens your mind, it all just makes sense to you. It clicks for you. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can actually, even as a new convert, you can help others who are fathers in the faith, who have been worshipping God for decades. Because Christ opens your mind in a way that he may not have fully opened the mind of somebody else in the faith and you're actually able to reveal something that you see in God's word and they never saw that before. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in you and he's older than everybody at the Bible study. And he wrote the book. So of course he can reveal things to you as a new convert that others are still struggling with. Once you're converted and God opens your mind, you are able to be light years ahead of the unconverted and understand God's word. Now, can anyone else open the seal to our mind, that cave-in that has come across our minds? No, it's only Jesus is worthy. He's the only one who can break the seal on the cave because he's the only one that bought with his body and blood access to our minds. He paid for every sin of yours at the cross. He removed it with 
his body and blood. Each rock that is removed from your mind cost Jesus at the cross. So what does that mean if Jesus is the only one who can open our minds? What does that mean we should do? Well, if you want to interpret the Bible correctly, if you want to make sense of the Bible, you must come to Christ first. Not to grammars, Greek grammars, Hebrew grammars, not to commentators. You come to Christ. He is the one who will open your mind. Christ is the key to unlocking Scripture, not word studies, not archaeology. It is Christ who opens the mind. But how do you come to Christ? You come in repentance. You come repenting of your sinful bias towards God and towards his scripture and beg for his help, that you need his help. That is what was taught to us in 2 Corinthians 3, that passage that I just read before. It says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You need to turn. That's what repentance is. Turning from wrong, starting to do right. You need to turn to the Lord. And also, you trust in Jesus. You repent and you trust in Jesus to take away the sins that are blocking your interpretation of scripture. Only once those sins are taken away to the cross can you read the Bible without fear and shame. And so if you've never repented of your sins, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, do it now and start reading the Bible. If you are someone who doesn't get Scripture, confess your sin to Christ now. Turn from them and trust in Jesus. If you feel like when you read the Bible, it's like hitting a brick wall, turn to Christ now and start enjoy reading the Bible with an open mind. But if we, are a Christ, if we are Christians, what should we remember? Well, we should remember that our cave entrances, if we take back that illustration, our minds are down inside the cave, there was a blockage there, Christ is outside, he removes the sin so that we can access his word and understand it rightly. We have to remember that our cave is not quite fully unblocked this side of glory. We still have sinful rocks in our heads that need to be removed. They block our interpretation as we read the text. And we do feel like we're hitting up a brick wall, uh, at a brick wall again. And it's our pride that gets in the way. Because of our sin, we don't want to hear what some of the things that God's word has to say. We're happy to hear about certain other aspects of God's word, certain parts of God's word that we're quite okay with. But some parts we read and we go, mm, I don't like that. I don't think that's what that's saying. There must be another interpretation. At face value, it seems to be saying that I'm doing the wrong thing. There's got to be another interpretation. I need to read more, study more, look at other translations, and then I will get the right, uh, get the right meaning of the text. We have to remember that we still have those sinful rocks there. And sometimes our sinful nature drops in new rocks. And previously, right interpretations are foregone. That we used to understand the Bible said this, and now we say, oh, no, actually, I was wrong all along, and I think it actually says this now. You see this with pastors who evolve in their theology or evolve in their understanding of a particular text, and particularly we see this at the moment with evolving in their understanding of sexual ethics, Christian ethics. They evolve on their positions on sexual ethics. What is happening? The sinful nature is dropping in rocks and blocking their mind from interpreting Scripture rightly. So how do we as Christians with partially open minds, come to Scripture. Well, we should come to Christ constantly in prayer to open our minds more. That's what I said to everybody. We need to have Christ open our minds. And how do we do that? It's by confessing our ignorance, confessing our sin, and praying for help before we read Scripture, whilst reading Scripture, and after we read Scripture. 
asking him for help again and again, saying, open my mind, blast the stones of sinful bias that are within my mind and help me to understand. I see this again and again as I have the wonderful job, really, of preparing sermons week after week. The longer I've been in ministry, the more I'm conscious of God just dropping in the interpretation at the right moment. And it's just by his grace that Jesus is opening my mind, removing a sinful bias, so it just clicks. And I go, I have something phenomenal to tell the people on Sunday. And it's because of God. And so what do we do in response to that? Well, we thank God. We thank God. We've seen as we've been looking at prayer together that we come to God with prayers of supplication, but also thanksgiving. And that's what we should do. If we want to interpret Scripture rightly, come to Christ and ask for his help, but when he gives the help, the right thing to do is to say thank you. Thank you for what you've done in revealing your word to me. Thank you for the breaths I take. Thank you for the daily breaths as I read your word, the oxygen that pours in, but also the big breaths that we take from time to time as we study God's word. There are these occasions as a Christian where you study God's word and suddenly something clicks in a glorious way. It's like hyperventilating if we're going to use the oxygen illustration. You just, your head gets giddy. And you understand something about God that seems now to be screaming at you from all pages of Scripture, but you just didn't get it before. I've had a few moments like this in my life. I can probably count them on one hand. And it's like a fresh conversion experience. One particularly was on the sovereignty of God, that God is in control of all things. I can remember the moment. It was like 1 a.m. at night, and I was reading a particular book about God's Word, and it just clicked. It made sense. And my response was, thank you, God. That's what we should be doing, asking for his help, but when he sends the help, thanking him for it. And, of course, we should also be tapping into other minds that God has unlocked, that Christ has unlocked. The Lord blesses diligent study, and we should be studying the writings of others, the preaching of others, the talking with others. As you come together at church, you should be speaking about Scripture and what has been revealed in it to you. And as you do so, people should be listening. You should be listening to what others have to say and learning from these minds that have been unlocked like yours have. God loves to speak through others. His Holy Spirit is in all of us if we're believers. And he speaks through us to one another. And so come into the presence of other believers and listen to what they have to say about God's word. And it may be that God uses that person. Maybe a Sunday morning like a sermon, like I'm doing right now, or it may be in a conversation with someone after the service or at a Bible study through the week that suddenly something clicks for you. And then fourthly, as we have these partially open minds, this side of glory, as we come to God's word, we should confess to uh, Christ, we should thank God for the revelations he gives us, we should tap into other minds, but fourthly, As we come to God's word, we should enjoy it. Enjoy the breaths you take. Enjoy the interpretations, the right interpretations of Scripture that God has revealed to you. Get addicted to understanding Scripture, to these moments of oxygen that pour into your life, that give life for eternity. So let's not read the Bible with rocks in our heads. Let's keep coming to Christ to remove the rocks. And to listen to other minds that Christ has opened, all the while thanking him for what he has revealed to us. 
and enjoying his word. Let's come to Christ now in prayer. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the one whose word is perfectly clear. It is flawless, like silver refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. Forgive us for our sinful minds that misinterpret your word because of our pride and our sin. Thank you for opening the minds of many here this morning, and we ask that you would open them still more to your word, so that we may delight in it more and more. And if any minds are here this morning and are still closed to you, open them now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Apply your work of the cross to their sin, and may they have open minds and see wonderful things in your word. And we pray this in your name. Amen.